History History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Jordan. How are you today? Fantastic. Fantastic. How are you? Lovely. Good. <laughs> Just a little disclaimer, you might hear some stuff outside. Yeah. Some, right outside my apartment, there's like a, it's like a video game truck, and they just have a generator going, just pumping. Going hard. I don't know why. After this, we should maybe see what they're doing in there, play some video games. <laughs> I feel like that's not good for the spread of corona. Like, hey. True. Pass this controller around. I'll have my mask on. Dummies. Oh, yeah. It'll all be fine. Hmm. So, how's everybody doing? This is episode 18. Show the, is. The Texarkana Moonlight Murders and the Phantom Killer. Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty crazy. Show does. Well, I never really heard about a lot about this. Me neither. It's interesting. And the only reason why I knew about the movie is because it was said in Scream. Did they, they really mentioned say it? it? Yeah. Oh, in the beginning? Whenever the the town goes, like, curfew, uh-huh. she says, like, the town of the dreaded sundown. Uh-huh. That dreaded sundown. Huh. Like, I never even caught huh. that. Huh, yeah. I know everything there is to know about Scream. Oh, yeah. Any questions, hit me up. <laughs> I know them. Hmm. So before we get into this topic today, let's chat a little bit about what's going on with the podcast. Yes. Shall we? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so we are at 4,800 downloads. Pew, pew. Another way to say that is 4,800. Nice. Proud of you. I thought you were going to fuck that up. I almost did. <laughs> Had to talk real slow. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Uh, as always, you can visit our website, mysteryhistorypodcast.com, with all of our episodes, our Patreon information, which has three tiers available, and our store and we added some new stuff. We did. Why don't you tell them about it? So we had the shirt Allie was obsessed with, the Ladyship shirt. That's right. From Elizabeth Bathory. Elizabeth Bathory. And we added one that's like a old band logo, looks like. So it's called Band Logo. If you search that in the search bar, it'll Original. come right up. Yep. And then there's retro ones that are, they have like a retro font and then they have tie-dye on the letters. So those are really cool. Pretty cool looking. Yeah, we got those. Yeah. That, we actually have that one in a hoodie as well. Yeah. The other two are just shirts. But. Well, and then there's a tank for the ladyship. Yeah, lady the ladyship has a tank top. Because all I wear is tank tops. Sun's out, gun's out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I made him make a tank top, and he thought it was the stupidest thing ever. So I really need y'all to prove him wrong. Mm. So let's buy all the ladyship shirts. <laughs> buy them now like hotcakes. 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 <laughs> <clears throat> so, yeah, I was really excited about that. I yeah. haven't purchased one yet, but I will be, and I will be rocking it. Mm. And I need, like, an, an entourage. Other people for the same thing. Yeah, yeah. that one's pretty cool too because it has. Um, it doesn't show it on the website, but on the back side where like your tag is on the outside of the shirt, it has the little Mr. History logo. Yeah, like on the middle. Yeah, just like where your tag is, but on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to explain that to Allie, and she didn't understand for a while. We were definitely confusing each other, but like <laughs> basically in the middle of the back of the shirt. Basically, like I said, it's where the tag is. <laughs> But it's on the outside. I will cut you. <laughs> I will cut you. And somebody will do a podcast about me one day. There you go. Okay. Still in jail. <laughs> okay, so yeah, those are pretty cool. Check those out. Uh, 
As always, Forensic Miles is another podcast who also has a store. We have a code with them, so if you buy anything off their website, you can get 20% off your order. Um, uh, ForensicMiles.com is the website. They have a lot of, like, killer logo stuff. It's really cool. Um, So use Mystery History Podcast for 20% off your order. Boom. Check out our friends Friends. over at Dead Academy Podcast, Mm -hmm. as always. They cover everything gross, bloody, disgusting. All the good stuff. All the good stuff. All the stuff you love. Yeah, with a few fucks thrown in. Just, uh, yeah, a lot of them. A lot of them. Yeah. We love them. Yeah. (laughs) Be sure to shoot over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review and a comment. Mm -hmm. I love the comments. We We haven't gotten one in a while. Yeah, we've got a couple more reviews. We did? Mm-hmm. Five stars. Oh. 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 Yeah. Yeah, go leave those. I like it. We like that. That brightens the day. Yeah, because right now we're at a 4.5 because that stupid person gave us a two-star. Yeah. Shot us down. Yep. So let's boost us back up. We can do it. Yep. Uh, and the last thing I wanted to discuss was um, our cousin, the Matthew Cameron. He yeah. um, is releasing another EP. On the 21st of August, called uh, Just Another Saturday. He's the one that did our intro music. So um, go look at him up on, you can look him up on Instagram or on Spotify. He has all of his other EPs out there too. But I listened to um, one of the songs, Love Letter on Your Mirror, and it was really good. I Ooh. liked it. So we're really proud of him. Mm-hmm. He's, yeah, that's awesome. He's very. Good with the guitar. Very talented. Thanks yes. for the word you're looking for. Sure. <laughs> He's good with it. He's very um good with it. <laughs> He's more better than me. Oh, that's funny. So, anything else you want to talk about? I don't believe so. Nope. Okay. Yep, pretty uh, straight to the point. Straight to the point. Let's do it. Okay. So, the Texarkana Moonlight Murders and the Phantom Killer. That's a mouthful. That's a lot of words. Lots of words. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, this story takes place in Texarkana, a once uh, quiet and sleepy town on the border of Texas, Arkansas, and Louisiana. Uh, whoever came up with this town's name was really original. Yeah. It just kind of took half of it and then plopped the other half on the backs. <laughs> All together. <laughs> kind of sounds cool, though. I didn't think it was a real place, <laughs> to yeah, you didn't. be honest. I yeah, was like, I was talking to you about it. who like, made this up? That's not real. <laughs> it's very cool. And then I'm I like, like it. is it in Arkansas? Is it in Texas? Yes. Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so now that you know where that is, let's go back to 1946 where all this starts. Um, February- dun, dun, dun. Yeah, this is where it gets real. It's going to happen. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, February 23rd, 1946, uh, Mary Lacey, who was 19, and her boyfriend, Jimmy Hollis, who was 25, big old age gap. Yeah. Uh, they were on their like w- some young. <laughs> they are on the way home from dropping off a couple they had gone on a double date uh, with. They went to dinner and a movie, if you were wondering. I know you were. What movie? Uh, you probably something know. not good. <laughs> 1946. <laughs> yeah, not very good on my 1946 uh, cinema no. trivia. We need to brush up on that. <laughs> Uh, they pulled off on a Richmond Road uh, to a secluded lover's lane that was unpaved around 11.45. Mary and Jimmy were there for about 10 minutes when a shadow fell over the car. Jimmy glanced up expecting to see a police officer, but instead saw a man peering into the window with wearing a white mask covering his face, uh, looking like a pillowcase of some sort. Jimmy thought this person was messing with him, but he realized it wasn't a joke when the man revealed a gun and ordered them both to get out of the car. He told Jimmy, I don't want to kill you, fellow, so do what I say. 
I mean, still that's unsettling. Pretty aggressive. I mean, it's nice. I don't want to kill that. you, fella. <laughs> so do but what I, I will. say. That's such a 1946 thing to say. Hello. Hey, like, fella. Man, see? <laughs> got a car, see? <laughs> Mary and Jimmy both got out of the car through the driver's side door. They noticed the man was taller than both of them. The masked man shined a flashlight on them with one hand and held the gun in the other. Once both of them were out of the car, the man demanded Jimmy took off his pants, stating, take off your goddamn bridges. Another, <laughs> straight out of the 40s. I like your it. goddamn bridges. I was going to say that. I hope to you like, like Evie when she's going to take a shower or <laughs> something. Take off your goddamn bridges. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that, you know, like gently. You have to. You gotta, ugh, you gotta mean it. You gotta put some oomph in it. God and then you gotta bridges. giggle afterwards, because that's some funny shit. I would probably, like, there'd be a gunpoint at me and be like, come on. Come you didn't on, just man. say that. My goddamn bridges. <laughs> Jimmy looked at the man like he was crazy, but followed his orders. After Jimmy had taken off his pants, the masked man hit him twice in the head. The noise was so loud that Mary thought he had been shot, but it was the sound of his skull cracking. That's pretty hard. Ugh. Mm, I couldn't know. Oh, yep. God. Jimmy's skull was instantly cracked in multiple spots. Mary had no idea what the masked man was doing and assumed he was trying to rob them. She quickly picked up Jimmy's pants and took his wallet out and showed the man he had no money. The man told her she was lying and Mary must have had a purse. She did not have a purse and the masked man became frustrated and hit Mary and knocked her to the ground. She quickly got up and the man told her to run. She immediately ran towards a nearby ditch. The man called out again telling her to run up the road in the opposite direction. He wanted her out in the open so she couldn't escape in the trees. Mary saw a vehicle up ahead and ran to it, but there was no one in it, and the engine was cold. While checking out an abandoned vehicle, um, the man caught up to Mary and shoved her to the ground. He yelled at her and asked her why she was running away from him. When she, told me, when she said, you told me to, he called her a liar and sexually assaulted Mary using the barrel of his pistol. Ugh, that's yep. tough to read. Yeah. Jimmy, who had been knocked out, came to. He was disoriented and saw Mary missing, as well as the man who hit him. Jimmy walked to, uh, to Richmond Road and flagged down the first vehicle that approached. He asked for help, and luckily the driver agreed to help him. He drove Jimmy to the nearest phone, which was a funeral home, and they called the police. While Jimmy was on his way to the funeral home, the masked man had gotten frightened by the headlights of the passing vehicle and ran off into the woods. Mary fled on foot, running half a mile to the nearest house. A car drove by Mary, and she tried to flag them down, but the car refused to stop. What a jerk. Yeah, that's fucked up. Uh, luckily, once she reached the house, she woke up the residents, and they agreed to call the police. Whoa. That's pretty wild. He had a cracked skull and still, like, saved the day. Yeah. That's fucking wild. I couldn't imagine the headache that must feel. Ew. Yeah. I don't even know how you're conscious when you have a cracked skull like that. That seems... I mean... And, like, moving? Like, your head would just be... Pounding. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. I wonder if that could, like, cut your brain. Probably if it, like, splintered in. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So maybe it was just, like, a crack and not, like, shoving pieces into his brain. Yeah, but it's still, though. Yeah, it's not good. I don't want it. Shit. Okay, so the investigation. Within a half hour, Bowie County sheriffs were on the scene, as well as as Sheriff Bill Presley. You'll hear a lot about Mr. Presley. Um, he had three other officers, and they went over the crime scene looking for any kind of clues they could find. The sheriff actually believed that it was a personal attack, so that Jimmy and Mary must have known this person. Jimmy and Mary were both taken to the hospital. Uh, Mary had minor head wounds and 
like we know, have been had been sexually assaulted. She was given a few stitches and released the next day. Jimmy, though, he stayed in the hospital for two weeks. Um, and it was a struggle to keep him conscious with his multiple skull fractures for four days. So it was kind of touch and go. Um, Jimmy and Mary both gave statements to the police. Uh, Mary said she claimed that the man wore a white bag over his head that had cutouts for his eyes and mouth, and she described him as being an African-American. Jimmy said that the man looked like he was a white male in his 30s, but that his recollection may have been distorted due to the multiple head blows and the flashlight that was in his face, and it disoriented him. Yeah. Jimmy said all he knew was that the guy was crazy. The crazy things he said made me feel his mind was warped. The only thing Mary and Jimmy agreed upon was that the man was about six foot tall. Sheriffs believe because of the different statements each gave that they knew their attacker and that they changed their statements to try to confuse the police to protect their assailant. If anybody's sexually assaulting me, I'm not a protecting you. Yeah, no shit. Or a crack in my skull. That's uh, It's fair game at that point, I feel. I'd be so mad if they told me that. Yeah, that they thought you were trying to cover for somebody. Yeah, I'd be like, you. Yeah. So, um... Because of their thought that they knew this person, their sheriffs kind of lost interest in the case, and no suspects would ever be brought forward wow. for um, by the investigators. Both Mary and Jimmy struggled with dealing with the attack. Jimmy was afraid to go driving at night, even while he was, like, in the city. And Mary had reoccurring nightmares and moved in with her aunt and uncle 300 miles away to Oklahoma. And she could never go upstairs by herself or sleep by herself. Wow. That's messed up. Yes. March 24th, 1946. A month after Mary and Jimmy were assaulted, a guy was driving down Rich Road around 830 and noticed an Oldsmobile parked along the road. The road was a desolate gravel road, so he stopped to see if anybody was in it or if they needed help. The guy said he looked inside and saw two bodies. The first one was male, crouched down between the front seats. His head was resting on his, hand, his crossed hands, and it looked like his pockets had been turned out. In the back seat, there was a woman sprawled out and face down, whose pockets had also been turned inside out. At first, he thought they were sleeping, but then he saw blood in the car. The man and woman in the car had been shot to death, execution style. The bodies were of Richard Griffin and Polly Ann Moore. Richard was 29 and Polly was 17. That's Ugh. a gap, too. That's not legal. And the two had been dating for six weeks. The night before, they had eaten dinner and visited Richard's sister until about 10 p.m. When they left, they went to Rich Road. Richard had been identified by his car and Polly by her class ring. That had her initials in graduation year, 1945. The year prior. How did she graduate high school at 16? She's smart. Wow. Huh. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Since this murder happened on the Texas side of Texarkana, the Bowie County police who handled Jimmy and Mary's assault were on the case. Both Richard and Polly were shot execution style and thought to have been brought back inside the car and posed. Bill Presley was again the first officer to arrive on the scene. A short distance from the car, there was a patch of blood-soaked soil where he believed the victims were shot. Even though it was thought the victims were shot outside the car, it was still a mess. There was coagulated blood running on the running boards, and it was pooling underneath the car. The police found 32 caliber shells at the scene, which they believe was were from the weapon that they used to murder Richard and Polly. But there was no record of a pathologist examining the bodies. 
Rumors spread that Polly had been sexually assaulted before or after the murder, but nothing could be confirmed. By March 27, 1946, police had interviewed 60 witnesses. By March 30th, a $500 reward was issued for any information leading to the arrest of the suspect, which caused 100 false reports um, that went nowhere. Three suspects were taken into custody, but all were let go. 200 people were questioned by the police, but no one was charged with the murder. That's That'd crazy. frustrating. Yeah, because as soon as money's involved, it's like yeah. every Joe Schmo on the corner is like, let me get a piece of that. Right. Yeah, that's... That'd be very frustrating. Mm Mm-hmm. So, obviously, two pretty crazy shenanigans are happening here, and nobody's being held accountable for them. So this kind of creates a panic and distrust in Texarkana. Um, And the residents really started to freak out. Parents were worried about their children and imposed curfew. Residents created a neighborhood watch where they patrolled desolate roads looking for any signs of trouble. This created a distrust between the residents and the police because they felt that they weren't working very hard to solve this murder and assault. Yeah, that'd be, yeah. Yeah. It would seem that way. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it does seem that way. Just, <clears throat> I couldn't imagine being like the parent and they're just like, couldn't find, find anything. Yeah. Like. Because these are young, I mean, 17 years old, that's that's young. And from the sound of it, it's not like it's that big of a town. It's no. not like New York City where it's like there's millions of people. There's no, like, no, it was a pretty sleepy, yeah. small town. So it's like you'd think they would be able to figure something out. Mm-hmm. And it always in like, I mean, I don't know, I've never been to Texas, excuse me, but I feel like it's spread out too. It's not like, right. you know, there's, there's not that many people people and they're all very spread it seems like there is one of those towns where like everybody knows everybody yeah so let's move to april 12th 1946 betty joe was 15 and paul martin was 17 so that's not as big of a gap and legal too yeah (laughs) uh the two had been friends since kindergarten the two were still friends, but when Betty had to move because of mother of her mother remarrying, there was a two-hour drive that separated them, so they didn't get to see each other very much. On April 12, 1946, the two had plans to see each other. Paul said goodbye to his parents on Friday and made the two-hour drive to Texarkana. He stayed the night at a friend's house Friday and then planned to see Betty on Saturday. Betty was very big into music. She played saxophone and played gigs regularly. Dang. Yeah. Saturday night, she had a gig at the Veterans of Foreign War Club, which you know was hopping. The VFW. And the gig ran late. She left there around 1.30 a.m., and Paul picked her up in his 1946 Ford Club Coupe. Wow. <laughs> Club Coupe. Club Coupe. <laughs> <laughs> with plans to drop her off at a slumber party on the other side of town. Well, on the way to the slumber party, you know, kids will be kids. And they found a d- dark, desolate road. They was fucking. And they were like, hmm, let's uh, see what's let's, going on. Let's do the sex. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they said that. That's what they Especially say. That's 19, what people say. Not in 1946. Or now. But it's fun to think that's what people say. <laughs> ah. <laughs> So now, that's funny, but now five hours later, after Paul had picked up Betty, the body of Paul was found. So you want to laugh about that, laughy guy? I didn't say nothing. Yeah, okay. Mm. So, so yeah, that's sad. So five hours later, the body of Paul was found. 
but not Betty. So it was around 6.30 a.m. on Sunday, the 14th, when a Texarkana family with their young son came across the remains of Paul lying on the edge of North Park Road. He'd been shot multiple times. On the other side of the road, there was another splatter of blood indicating that there might have been another victim, but there wasn't any body that they could find. 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 The police are called. <laughs> the police are called, and Sheriff Bill Presley again. This guy's. Maybe he's the murderer. He might be. He's like, I don't fucking know who's doing this. This is crazy. Right. They just show up, and there's just bodies. <laughs> this guy got stabbed, and I was standing here, <laughs> and I don't know what happened. Anyway. Bill Presley made his way to the crime scene. They started piecing together the hours prior to Paul being shot, and they found out that he'd been with Betty. So they started searching for her. Residents and officers joined together to cover as much ground as possible to try to find her. One search party was searching the area of Galleria Oaks, which sounds very fancy, Mm -hmm. around 11.30 a.m., and they found the body of Betty Jo. She was laying on her back behind a tree, She was still fully clothed, but her body was staged. Her coat was buttoned all the way up to her chin, and her her right hand was resting in the pocket of her overcoat. She was found two miles away from the body of Paul. She was also shot more than once. Man. Which is weird, because if they found another blood splatter, like, at the scene, Mm -hmm. did he carry her that far? It sounds that way. That's crazy. I'm guessing he drove her. Yeah. So, so, and we'll talk about the investigation. The murders of Paul and Betty Jo solidified to the residents of Texarkana that there was someone targeting young couples. In the nineteen, in the year nineteen forty-six, the term serial killer was not a thing yet. Nope, didn't exist. After examining the bodies, it showed Paul had been shot four times. One bullet went through his nose. One through his left ribs from behind, so he was running away and got shot. One lodged behind his right hand, and one exited through the back of his neck. Ew. Yeah, that's rough. Betty Jo had been shot twice, once in the chest and a second directly in the face. She was also sexually assaulted. They believed an automatic thirty-two Colt pistol was used. It took police longer to find their vehicle because it was a mile and a half away from Martin's body and over three miles away from Betty Jo. The keys were still in the ignition. Martin T. Gonzalez was a Texas Ranger who was brought in to assist in the investigation from orders from the Texas governor. Captain Gonzalez, who had been a Ranger for 25 years and was one of the state's most well-known and respected lawmen, he was nicknamed Lone Wolf because of his persistence and eagerness to step outside the box. There was This was no longer a small-town case. Now the governor's involved. The He's like, wolf. I ain't doing this shit no more. The Lone Wolf's in a fucking mix. Capitan Gonzalez. <laughs> El Capitan. One of the leads the detectives followed up on after the killing of Paul and Betty Jo was the disappearance of Betty Jo's saxophone. As we know, Betty Jo was big into her music, and when Paul picked her up, it was from a gig where she had brought her sax. Yeah. I don't know why they're thinking about the saxophone when there's two dead bodies, but hey. Hey, it's important. It's a <laughs> crucial part of this case. <laughs> the detectives thought that the sex might have been stolen and that this could have been a robbery gone wrong. Yeah, those are hot I mean, commodities. I guess, if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> like, oh shit, is that a sex phone? <laughs> I'm taking I, it. I need that. 11 days after the murder, a man in Corpus Christi, Texas, tried to sell the sax at a music store. He seemed nervous, and the employee had him speak to the manager. 
The manager confronted him and wanted to know where he got the instrument, and the man ran away. The manager called the police and gave a description of the man who was found and arrested two days later on April 27th. In those two days, the, uh, the man had bought a forty-five revolver at a pawn shop, and then when the police looked through his room, they found he had gotten rid of the saxophone. He did have a bag of bloody clothing, which he claimed he had gotten bloody a few days prior at a bar fight. Hmm, what a good story. Likely story, yeah. He was questioned for several days, but then was released. Six months after the murders, just a short distance away from where Betty Jo's body was found, the saxophone was located. Hmm. Pretty good fucking detectives there. If they couldn't have found a fucking saxophone in the forest, <laughs> I feel like it'd be sticking out like a sore thumb. Yeah, what's that big old gold shiny thing? Yeah, don't worry about that. These guys are idiots. <laughs> the $500 reward that was first put out a month prior had now grown to 1700 which is about $25,000 in today's money. That's some big money. That is. Again, leads flooded the police department, and most of them were considered fake. That's the downside. But, like, how can you consider something fake? That seems like poor police work again. They're just like, that doesn't sound real. (laughs) I don't feel like doing anything today. (laughs) I mean, well, I I don't know. It's tough because if some people are afraid to talk, and then maybe that $1,700 persuades them a little into it, but then you got other people that just want a piece of that money. Yeah, but I feel like you still have to look into everything if you think it's fake. These guys aren't very good. No, they're not. Can't even find a fucking saxophone in the woods. <laughs> God damn. That poor guy who's just selling a saxophone. That was weird, though. Maybe he, he put it back maybe, in the maybe, woods. Maybe he did something else. What do you mean? Like, maybe he did another crime. And killed somebody for a saxophone? Is maybe. that a big thing? You never heard about that? Is that what happens? That's like a big, that's like a conspiracy. Well, hmm. The saxophone murders. I guess. <laughs> A uh, taxi driver became a suspect when the police spotted his vehicle near one of the murder scenes. A local minister was accused, both fizzled out, with n- and when no evidence could be collected. Hmm. Fucking minister. Minister. Texarkana was still in a state of panic, as the unknown killer was still on the loose. The local newspaper's headlines read, Phantom Killer Eludes Officers as an Investigation of Slangs Pressed. Phantom Slayer Still at Large as Probe Continues. The public now had a name to call this menum, The Phantom. Da Phantom. Da Phantom. Dun, dun, dun. May 3rd, 1946. Man. Anticipation. (laughs) Kill me. Virgil and Catherine Starks lived on a 500-acre farm where Virgil farmed the land. (laughs) So he's a farmer. He's a farmer. (laughs) That's what I concluded. Where he farmed the land. They didn't have any children, but... They loved each other, and they lived comfortably on their 500-acre farm. That's big. That is a big farm. On May 3rd, 1946, Virgil and Katie, both were 37, called it quits from working on the farm around 9 p.m. Virgil turned on a radio show and sat in the family room that was located right off the kitchen and bedroom. Katie had bought Virgil a heating pad for his sore back and kissed him goodnight. She was really tired, and she was going to go lay down. Katie laid in bed, where she struggled to fall asleep and heard some ruckus coming from the backyard. She asked Virgil to turn down the radio, and as he stood up to go to the radio, he stopped. Katie heard the sound of breaking glass, and she rushed into the living room. She saw Virgil standing, but then he fell back into his chair, and his face was covered in blood. He had been shot. 
Katie couldn't tell how many times, but she rushed over to Virgil and was trying to help him, but saw that he was dead. She rushed over to the phone and was shot twice. Mm. The killer was standing on the other side of the window, just behind Virgil's chair on the front porch. One of the shots entered Katie's right cheek and exited behind her left ear. The other hit just below her lip and broke her jaw and splintered several teeth. Mm. Ugh, that just kills me. Yeah, that's rough. The bullet lodged underneath her tongue, so it was still in there. But but Katie's alive, okay? So she crawls to the bedroom for cover, and she starts to think about how she can protect herself. Virgil kept a pistol in the living room, so she started to crawl that way. The killer actually had moved to the back of the house and was trying to remove the screen door from the back door. Katie heard him trying to get into the back door, and if he would have came in, it would have led him straight to her. So she decided to forget about the gun, and the best way for her to escape was to actually run out the front door and just run. That's ballsy. Yeah. Man. Because at that point, you don't know what's going on. You don't know if there's two of them, if somebody's still out there or what. So Mm -hmm. she just saw her opportunity and went for it. So she was barefoot in her nightgown that was covered in blood, she runs to the uh, out the front of the house, and she can barely see because her face is all bloody and she's all jacked up. Ugh. She runs across the street to her brother-in-law's house, but they aren't home. How like, ugh, how just the air probably just mm-hmm. ugh, just goes out of you whenever they're not home. Yeah. So she sprints fifty yards to the home of their neighbor A. V. Pratter. Prater's home, and hears the commotion outside, so he rushes out to see Katie, who's just yelling, Virgil's dead, and she collapsed on his, y- on his yard. How could you talk? Ugh. I don't know. So Prater grabs a rifle and fires a shot into the air to try to alarm the other neighbors, which is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Elmer Taylor is one of the neighbors who hears the gunfire, and he comes out to investigate and see what's up. Prater tells Taylor to bring his car and come help because the Starks have been shot. He told that him that Virgil's dead and Katie needs medical attention like right now. She's bleeding all over the place. Prater, his wife, his baby, Taylor, and Katie all travel to the um, Michael Meager Hospital. Because if I was Prater, I wouldn't be leaving my family no way. <laughs> in the house Absolutely either. Absolutely not. On the trip there, Katie struggles to remain conscious. She even yanks out one of her broken teeth that had a gold filling and tries to give it to Taylor for compensation for helping her. What a nice lady. Well, she's out of her damn mind because she's all, I mean, could you imagine? She saw her husband dead. She shot up all in the face. She just eluded people. And now she's pulling out her teeth. Well, yeah, she's probably like so thankful. She's like. I'm sure. Especially after her brother-in-law wasn't home. Man. When they arrive at the hospital, she'd lost a lot of blood, but luckily her vitals were normal. She would go into surgery that night to repair all the damage that happened to her face. Police investigate the crime scene at the home, and in the morning, the newspaper reads, Murder Rock City Again, Farmer Slain, Wife Wounded. Man, that's fucked. Yeah. Just be sitting in your house, then don't even go anywhere. No. So that kind of changes the narrative of the killing, though, because these people were 37, and all the other ones were younger. Well, and, and they were in cars. Exactly. So, it's, so that's when this kind of takes off. So this investigation is kind of different. Mm. Because this crime took place on the Arkansas side of town, Arkansas State Police were the first on the scene. Officer Charlie Boyd and Max Tackett were first on the scene. 
They entered inside and found a trail of blood leading down the hallway towards the living room where Katie and Virgil had been shot. Virgil was still there, but there are some discrepancies on how he was found. One officer states Virgil was sitting in the chair he had been shot, while another stated he was lying across the floor. So what that tells me is these people don't know a damn thing of what they're doing. Yeah. You can't even have the same story as how this dude's lying or sitting. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And this you is think a different department. You think there'd be somebody, like, taking... Photos. I don't... Yeah. Did well, they I don't have know if, photos I don't, back then? They did, but I doubt they took photos of crime scenes and stuff. you think they'd be taking notes, at least. Yeah. So it's like, man, yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah. Doesn't paint a good picture of any of that South... <laughs> There's Police. only two of them, and they can't even, like, <laughs> agree. Oh. Oh. Facts were determined that Virgil was shot twice in the back of the head, and the chair he had been sitting in had caught fire. Um, Katie had brought him a, the heating pad before going to bed, and the heating pad had been left on the chair after she had fled, so the chair caught fire. Luckily, it did not spread to the rest of the house. Yeah. That's pretty gruesome, though, to have your husband shot and then his body catch on fire. Yeah. It's like... Phew. But, I mean, I don't know if she went back to that house after she was all healed up and everything like that. But that would be just another can, thing uh, for imagine. your house to be burnt down. It might have been better that way. That yeah, way no, she could, like, rebuild. I would, yeah. I would have rather had that. Yeah. Okay. So, within a half hour, the Stark residence was swarming with officers investigating the home. There was a blockade that they placed along Highway 67 to try to catch any suspicious individuals that were leaving the area. Twelve suspects were actually detained, but only three were kept for more in-depth questioning, and all 12 of them ended up being cleared. I don't know what they asked them. Who knows in this bunch? (laughs) Like, how did you see that guy laying? Right. We can't decide. (laughs) The police were struggling to connect this murder with the other attacks. This happened in a house when all the other ones happened on Lover's Lane, just like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also the attack, only attack to happen on the Arkansas side of town. All the other ones were on the Texas side. Like, but that's like a stone's throw away. Right. So it's, it's not, not like it's un- Yeah. There was a difference in ammunition. The prior attacks were a 32 caliber, and in this instance, it was a 22. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Because maybe that's how. She survived. Um, They thought this could be a copycat who might have tried to confuse detectives, which isn't real fucking hard. No. You know what I mean? Does not seem to be, no. Yeah. Um, Sheriff W.E. Davis. That was a terrible, like, set of letters to go by. Hey, we. Hey, we, Davis. That does not roll off the tongue. W.E. Claimed it's possible that the killer is one and the same man. Hmm. Possible. That is possible. It is. Good uh, good job, Sheriff. Good detective work. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Chief Deputy Tillman Johnson stated, I feel like the phantom killer didn't do the Starks murder. It would be hard to tie him to the Starks murder. Seems like another one. It just was <laughs> like, I don't think it was him. Nah, It'd be hard. Maybe. That means I'd have to do work. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. Law enforcement and residents had differing opinions on if the crimes were connected. Following the murder of the Starks, bloodhounds were brought in and were able to pick up two different scents. Both led toward the highway and ended there. It was thought that the killer had stashed um, his car there to make a getaway and evaded the blockade. Within 24 hours, police were questioning Katie at the hospital, and she had recovered from the two gunshots to her face. There were rumors that Virgil had been threatened a few days prior to the incident, but Katie discounted those. There was no buildup of an attack. They always try to pin it on the people, like it's their fault that this happened, and that really is not right to do. Yeah, that's pretty fucked. 
Sheriff W.E. Davis would tell the press, the killer is the luckiest person I've ever known. Hmm. No one sees him, hears him in time, or can identify him in any way. So this guy, W.E., knows this guy? Hmm. The luckiest that's, person he's ever known? That is weird I wording. I feel like that's, uh, maybe he's the killer. You suspect. Hmm. Yep. Hmm. Okay, so let's move on to a suspect is actually arrested. Finally. Crazy. Officer Tackett, who'd been involved in the case since the Stark murder, he's the Arkansas guy, had been investigating leads. He made the correlation that on each night of the Phantom Killer struck, a car had actually been stolen in the area. One of the cars that had been stolen the night of Richard and Polly were murdered had just been found in a parking lot months later. On June 28, 1946, Officer Tackett decided to stake out a vehicle until the th- thief returned to it. The thief. The thief. <laughs> he was surprised. I'm working on my French accent. The thief. Oh, the thief. <laughs> he was surprised to find that the person coming to the vehicle wasn't a big, scary man. It was actually an innocent-looking young lady. Ooh. Peggy Stevens. Wow. Peggy was confronted by Officer Tackett, where she told him that she had just gotten back from, from Shreveport, Louisiana, and she just married a man named Yul Sweeney. Like, they just got married. They like, that then. day. Wow. Like, a couple hours ago. <laughs> what a wedding day. Yeah. So, her husband was in Atlanta, Texas, not Atlanta, Confusing. Georgia, <laughs> trying to sell another stolen vehicle. Officer Tackett followed this lead and was able to corner Yule Sweeney in Atlanta at an Arkansas motor coach bus station. At first, Yule tried to run away out the back of the building and used a fire escape, but was cornered by police. He said, please don't shoot me. Officer Tackett told him he wasn't going to shoot, get shot for stealing cars. When Sweeney responded with, mister, don't play games with me. You want me for more than stealing cars. Hmm. Told himself. Mm-hmm. Sweeney would make several comments similar to this while he was being held uh, en route to the police station. He said he would potentially be getting the electric chair and were certain the police were on him for violent crimes he had committed. So these guys didn't even have to do any police work. He's just like, I did that he shit. <laughs> He's like, you steal that car? He's like, yeah, I killed those people. <laughs> <laughs> Don't shoot me. He's like, God damn. The guy's like, son of a bitch. God knew it. <laughs> Yul Sweeney was 29 years old and become, had become the primary suspect in the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. He had a criminal pass for car theft, counterfeiting, burglary, and assault. Peggy, his new wife, would confess on three occasions that his, her husband was the phantom killer. One statement from Peggy was, He and I were at his sister's house on 2020 Senator Street. We were discussing the murders in Texarkana. I asked him who killed these people. He told him it was someone with a brilliant mind, someone who had more sense than the cops. Well, anybody could tell that. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a like a confession. Um, Peggy recalled months ago that they had gone to dinner and a movie, and it stopped alongside the road for him to pee. This was the same place where Paul and Betty Joe were assaulted. Her, here is her statement. Yule was gone from the car for about an hour when I heard something that sounded like two gunshots. I don't know whether they were pistol or shotgun shots. It was just getting daylight when he came back to the car and started driving out of the park at a rapid rate of speed. When he came back to the car, I saw that his clothes were wet up to his knees and damp up to his waist. Yeah, that's pretty fucking... Who's like, hey, I gotta pee? Obviously in an hour. Right, right. (laughs) She didn't think that was weird in the first place? I'd have been pissed. He was pissed for an hour. True. True. (laughs) 
Peggy gave a statement again, stating that she had been a bystander to the crimes and witnessed the murders of Paul and Betty Joe, which she said was just a robbery gone wrong. She confessed again in November 1946 with several details to the crime, which led investigators to believe that she was actually telling the truth. She took police out to where Paul Martin's vehicle was found and told them that this had been or that she had been in the woods watching the crime take place. Police found a woman's heel print at the crime scene and was shocked at the, this detail because they didn't look at shit beforehand. Nope. She told police that a date book was thrown into the bushes near the crime scene, which had been found. And this was something that wasn't posted in the papers, so the public was not aware of mm. this. Everything was pointing to Yule Sweeney's actually being the phantom killer. Um, aside from Peggy's statements, investigators found that Yule had owned a thirty-two Colt pistol, which he sold in a game of craps. They found a slag in his pocket that matched the samples taken from Stark's welding shop. Facing the death penalty, Sweeney refused to confess to the murders. Fingerprint testing had failed to come up with anything conclusive, and the police spent over a year trying to validate Peggy's claims. I wonder how shaky police or uh, fingerprint testing was in 1946. I don't know. I don't can't imagine it's very good. <laughs> Probably just a guy looking at him like, I don't know. That doesn't look like they a match look, to me. It don't look the same. <laughs> Several holes were found in her confessions, and she was deemed to be an unreliable witness. As the trial began, Peggy recanted her confessions because she w- was married to Sweeney and she could not be forced to testify against him. Yeah. Hmm. That's a little loophole. That is. Interesting. Mm-hmm. They were unable to pin the murders on Yule because he was a repeat offender. Oh, sorry. I said that wrong. They were unable to pin the murders on Yule, but because he was a repeat offender, he was given a life sentence anyway for his car thefts, and that put him in prison for 26 years. In early 1970, Sweeney would appeal his life sentence and was released in 1973. He continued to say that he was not responsible for the murders, even though the police believed he was. He died in Dallas in a nursing home in 1944. Hmm. Interesting. Yep. So, the search continues. Investigators follow leads for months and years trying to find the phantom killer of the Texas Arcana, or Texarkana, Moonlight Murders. This story was voted number one in Texas and Arkansas as the number one most followed news story of 1946. Yeah, I would think so. That's yeah, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> what else is going on in 1946? Yeah. Two years later, the case reached headlines again when investigators looked into Henry Booker Tennyson. That's any killer has three names. That's just a fact. That is a fact. Yep. So he's automatically guilty. Yeah. <laughs> he was nicknamed Duty. Duty. What a terrible name. Shitty guy. <laughs> he was 18 at the time of the murders and in 1948 started to be investigated by police. The police didn't get very far, though, as Tennyson was found dead in his bedroom in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Tennyson had purchased cyanide of mercury, which said, which he said was going to be used for rat poison. Mm. Mm. Like you do. Mm-hmm. Tennyson left a note for police and pointed them to Tennyson's lockbox. He said, The opening uh, to my box will be found in the following few lines. In a, tube of, in a tube of paper is found, rolls on colors, and it is dry and sound. The head removes, the tail will turn, and inside is the sheet you yearn. Two bees means a lot when they are tougher. These clues should lead you to it. Don't make any fucking sense. Well, they found that... They found a note in his pen. 
Whoa. So that was leading them to an ink pen that had the information to get inside his lockbox. Dang. But they didn't wait for that. They just bust that shit wide open. (laughs) So inside this box was a suicide letter, so to speak. This is a little snippet. Why did I take my own life? Well, when you commit two double murders, you would too. Yes, I did kill Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin in the city park that night and killed Mr. Starks and tried to get Mrs. Starks. You wouldn't have guessed it. I did it when Mother was either out or asleep and no one saw me do it. For the guns, I dissembled them and discarded them in several places. So, after further investigation, they found that Tennyson played in the same high school band as Betty Jo. Wow. That's crazy. That is crazy. But they weren't friends. They both did play brass instruments, but they didn't really know each other. Uh, over time, investigators believe that Tennyson was not responsible for the murders, and this is not why he committed suicide. Other notes found mentioned a lifelong depression and an overactive imagination. Even so, that friends of Tennyson gave alibis for him on several of the nights of the attacks that meant that Tennyson could not have been responsible. Wow. Yeah. So he, he just, just wanted an excuse, kind of. Probably. And, yeah. Or, like, glory in his death. Man, that's fucked. Yeah. In January of 1949, a 26-year-old black man was arrested for his possible involvement in the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. He was originally arrested for uh, killing of a young black couple in Waco, Texas, and he had sexually assaulted the female. Investigators also found this young man had worked for Vigil Starks and lived on the property where the crime was committed. This fizzled out, and while he was given a life sentence for his other crime, he was not charged for the Moonlight Murders. A decade later, in 1956, workers were tearing apart a school near Spring Lake Park where Betty, or Paul and Betty Joe were killed, and a bag of what looked like to be blood-stained clothes were found in the attic. Ooh. Yeah. They were sent out for testing, but it was not blood. It was paint. Uh, however, the story will always be continued to be linked to the Moonlight Murders, even though it was a rumor. Like you do whenever stories get told, and that's just, they go down in history that way. Get blown out of proportion. Yep. Um, In 1968 and 1969, that's when the Zodiac Killer emerged in the San Francisco Bay. While the two cases have similarities, some believe it could be the work of the same person, which is interesting. It is interesting. I mean, they could have just moved. Yeah. Been like, I'm sick of Texarkana. (laughs) These Enough of the small town. <laughs> I want to get caught, and these police are dumb. <laughs> but that doesn't really make sense to me, because, like, this guy never did any of the, like, code stuff. Like, he never... Yeah, no, that's true. That's weird. I mean... Unless he just got, like you said, one to be caught. The other only thing that kind of mimics it is the lover's lane stuff. Yeah, that's true. But I don't think... I mean, I don't know. He never really sexually assaulted anybody. No, he just did it and left. Yeah. In 1976, 30 years after the murder, the town that dreaded sundown was released and was inspired by the events that took place in Texarkana. I have never seen this movie. Mm -hmm. I would like to. The film was loosely based on the investigation. The director, Charles B. Pierce, had actually grown up in that area, and the Phantom Killer was, like, that area's boogeyman. So, like, you know, you scare the crap out of kids when they're young with these tales. Yeah. This movie is perhaps what Texarkana is mostly known for. And in 2014, there was a spinoff created. I saw that one. It actually has the same name, I believe. Yeah. So it's actually pretty good. It's like a, I forget what it's called. It's like a split sequel or some weird name is what Hmm. it's called. 
but yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. good, though. That, I've never seen the original, but the second one was good. Yeah. I'd like to see it. So, in the end, the case of the Phantom Killer is still unsolved, and that was 74 years ago. Yeah. So. So, maybe 75 years is when we'll solve it. <laughs> Doubtful. Maybe that's possible. how long these people take. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Oh, uh, this cop, the police is, is just, like, aggravating. They are so dumb. Man. I can't believe, the, like, saxophone thing blows me away. It's like, it'd have to be, like, yeah, like you said, like, sticking out, like, it's a... Yeah, it's brass. Bright, bright yeah, gold thing in the middle of the yeah. woods. It's like, there's nothing else that color. <laughs> they just weren't looking hard enough. Um, so, upon doing some research, Texarkana, current day, and this town now has one of the highest crime rates in America, next to other cities of that size. And a person's chance of becoming a victim of either a violent or property crime is 1 in 18. That's crazy. That's pretty wild. That's, yeah. That's some bad odds. Yeah, that's not good. I don't see why anybody would live there. Unless you're, like, born there and just, like, I don't see anybody moving there. No. <laughs> it's like, that seems like a nice place to live. Yeah, I'm not interested. Nah. That's That's pretty high. 1 in 18. I feel like if your town has a... That's crazy. One in 18. That's... Evie's school's going to be 20 kids in a class. So that means in that one class, one kid would be assaulted. One in every... Yeah. So that'd be one person in every class. Would be Whoa. Like, that's pretty... Yeah. Whoa. That's pretty bad when your town is like known for a murder movie. Yeah. Like there's some murderer in general. I... Per- so who do you think it was? I don't know. I, I think it was the dude they got... The Yule? Yeah. I think so, too. Because even though that bitch Peggy was crazy. That bitch. <laughs> that bitch. Just like Carol Baskin. That bitch. She knew a lot of stuff. And even though she recanted, she knew a lot of stuff that nobody else knew. Yeah. And, like, the whole him being gone for an hour and they, they're in the same exact place with the first murder was. Right. It's like, how is that not, like, <laughs> the whole, like, everything about the police in this whole story is, like, Makes them look real bad. They're just like, I don't want to do work. Like, well, that that's <laughs> still true today. If it's one in 18 people get assaulted, they still don't bad. care. Yeah. That's crazy. It must, that must be real. I wonder how that works with, like, how it's split down the middle. Like, does, if there's a, Tex, like, in Texas, does the Arkansas police help? Well, at first, before I started, like, researching this. Yeah. That's what I thought might have happened is, like, maybe he hit in areas where other share, like, other counties. Yeah. And by that time, they didn't have any system that kind of talked to each other. Right. But the only one that was outside of that box was the the Stark. Yeah. And, I mean, I feel like they might have done the best police work, even though they couldn't agree on how the hell the guy was laying. I don't know. It's just, there's a lot of, uh, I think it's a a grouping of things. I think it was 1946, and things were tough, mm. like, on how to investigate things. I think that the police probably didn't... I think that it was wrong the first time that they blamed it on the victims, that they knew these people, and they were trying to, like, help them. Yeah. Why would you be... Why, why would you sexually assault yourself? No, I don't know. It's also weird, too, that those are the only people that weren't killed. Like, that was the only time he didn't kill people. Well, it sounds like... They got lucky. Like, it yeah, could have yeah. probably gotten to that point. Yeah. And it also makes sense because he had her run away. But that's another thing. It's like, that one seems, the last one seems so different. Because, like, the other ones, 
it's like he toyed with the people. Yeah. Like the first one, he's like telling the girl to run. Well, and that's why, so remember how I said, what, did he carry that girl? Yeah. Three miles away? Mm-hmm. I wonder if he told, like, maybe he, like, hit her and made her bloody, too, and then asked, told her to run. Yeah, maybe. And then caught up with her. That could be possible, yeah. But, it's, yeah, it's like the last one was just, like, he didn't even, like, go in the house. No, he just he shot was, him like, through the, the door. Yeah. Or the window. And that scares me. That is terrifying. But. That's why I, I can't believe they have heating farm. pads in 1946. That's pretty wild. There was a lot of farmers. They had to yeah, cure their aching bones. <laughs> That's wild. That's a, if you asked me for like a million dollars, if heating pads were a thing in 1946, I'd say no. I would think, you know, those like water ones, those red like packets that you put hot water in. Oh, uh, yeah. But still, that wouldn't catch a fire. No. This it wouldn't sounds get in the electrical. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. I think that Yule guy might have been the dude. Yep. But it's weird how he, like, in the beginning was, like, almost gloating about it. Yeah. And then he spent the rest of his life saying he didn't do it. It's right. Like, well, why the fuck do you say you did it if you didn't do it? Right. It's and I, it sucks that, like, even though he was put away for 26-odd years, the families never got justice for their... Yeah. They never knew for sure. Yeah. And in the town, I mean, you never get clarification as to if this is over or if it's still a thing or what that's yeah i don't know i'm very disappointed with the police department this was yeah that's a rough one that presley guy (laughs) he actually wrote a book was it called world's worst police officer (laughs) (laughs) the guy i didn't catch how to suck at your job (laughs) i don't know but yeah he he wrote a book about the whole thing I don't remember. Let me look it up. Bill Presley, bad cop. (laughs) Texarkana book. Let's see. The Phantom Killer, James Presley. Yep. Hmm. Texarkana Gazette. He wrote it in 2014. No, he didn't. That's not possible. Why? He wouldn't be alive. 1946 to 2014. Maybe he was a, a young blood back then, right out of the academy. <laughs> Holy shit, that book's $27 to buy. Nope. That's a lot. Not for me. I told you everything you need to know, people. <laughs> <laughs> just be, just join our Patreon. Yeah. $27 will do. We're a lot cheaper than that. Right, I'll take a quit, dollar. I'll tell you what. Huh. So, what if, that's some shit, isn't it? you like... Like, I didn't catch the guy, but I'm going to make some money on it. Yeah. That's fucked. I'd be pissed if I was, like, one of the, the like, family. The family. Yeah. Yeah. So you couldn't even fucking catch the guy, and you're making money off of it now. Right. So that's shitty. Ugh. What a, that guy just sounds awful. Yeah. 400 pages. It's a big book. $27. He's like, and then on March 27th, 1946, I fucked up by doing this. And then... <laughs> Spoiler alert, I still didn't get him. Like, disclaimer, never caught this never, bitch. Never got him. <laughs> Don't know who he is. Oh, man. So to cite our sources, I went to un- unresolved.me backslash the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Backslash, backslash. And then wiki and the texasmonthly.com. Ooh. And Morbidology.com, which is another podcast, which is a good podcast. They did a story on this, too. Oh, check so, them out. Check them out. 
So you got anything else to say about this Texarkana bullshit? I don't think so. If you're from Texarkana, stay safe. <laughs> Let us know how you how safe you really feel and if you've been one of the 18 assaulted. Yeah, I don't want to sound rude, but don't move there. No. Doesn't sound... Well, did you see on Instagram somebody posted that their grandmother or yeah. something was from there? When she was four, that yeah. happened. Yeah, it's pretty That's amazing. That's crazy. That's crazy. I'm sure that they grew up thinking, like... The like, Phantom Killer. I'm sure, yeah, they always talked about, like, don't go to Lover's Lane. Like, don't go parking anywhere. Yeah. Because it's like... Because the Phantom Killer gets you. Yeah. So that's cool. I like to hear stories like that. So, yeah, if you have any connections, tell us about it. Yep. Um, what else do you have to say? Nothing. Just rate, review, subscribe. Talk to us on Instagram, Mystery History Podcast. Yeah, I really am like loving the uh, the communication we've got. We try to respond to every message. If we don't, I'm so sorry. And please keep on keeping on because yeah, we, we will get to it. Love the interaction. It's cool yep. to talk to you guys. So, Yep. All right. Well, that is the Texarkana Moonlight Murders and the Phantom Killer. Yes, it is. Sounds like a Scooby-Doo episode. <laughs> it does. And the shitty cops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, everybody have a good week. Stay safe. Uh, what else? Don't get robbed or Fuck shot. horses. Fuck horses, <laughs> as always. <laughs> all right. We will see y'all next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.